and sometimes when you hit record, the quality it kind of stutters and we get worried that it's just going to fall apart. But it seems seems to be okay. Sweet. Where are where are you guys based out of? I'm I'm in Edinburgh. Oh, wicked. Um, and I'm I'm living in Ayrshire at the moment for my sins, Chad, um, just okay. due to circumstances. But we're both originally from the north of Scotland, um, in between Aberdeen and Inverness. Oh, so that's, wicked. that's how we kind of know each other. We know each other from school. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And you're you're in Halifax. <laughs> yeah, like I guess maybe an hour outside of Halifax is where i really live but it's just a better shorthand to say halifax since no one really knows i live in a place called Warnvale, which is you know population like a hundred maybe or something so really yeah yeah it's pretty rural but uh yeah it's good i can have a studio in my house there you know mortgage is cheap relatively and no one minds when i play guitar at two in the morning or whatever so that's good was that part of the reason why you chose to move there? Just because it was kind of away from everybody? Or? It was kind of a whole slew of things like where I'm a school teacher. And at the time, that's where I was working for. I worked in the same school for 11 years until three years ago. And I got a deal on the house through family. And yeah, I guess those are the, the things that those are the factors initially. And then I had been collecting recording gear for so long that renting a second space or something was going to be a little, it didn't seem like it was going to make sense. And a lot of my friends had studios at their houses and it seemed to be working well for them. So yeah, no, it was, uh, it's been a really, it's been a productive way to work, honestly. Um, yeah. It's got its down downfalls for sure in terms of driving to see my girlfriend an hour away or whatever, but, but you know, it's all right. It's all right. Cool. Nice. Uh, thanks a lot for reviewing the the single, by the way. That was uh, super I was like, you know, you get these reviews and you're like nervous to watch them, but it was uh, it was awesome. So uh, thanks a lot. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for agreeing to do this, man. That's, that's pretty amazing, to be honest. Like, I don't know if Sned's oh, said to you, but this is the first time we've done anything like this. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a landmark page and for the podcast. So, yeah, thank so, you very much. Man. Oh, that's awesome honored cool so i'll try and try to not be too formal about this we've got some questions for you but we'll just um you know <laughs> we'll try to make it a, a, a quite a casual conversation and not just... <laughs> so just a big warm welcome to chad peck from the band kestrels who following the review of single grey and blue kindly asked us if we wanted to do an interview which is a very cool thing indeed um chad first of all congrats on the new album and thanks for taking the time to talk to us thanks so much honored to be here it's gonna be super fun <laughs> um please like well like grant just said um you know we're we're noobs at this so please forgive us if our our <laughs> questions are rubbish um we'll be <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've not we've not interviewed any bands or artists before, so, um, but hopefully this will this will go fine. Um, so I think the, the probably the easiest way to start it off is just to get you to to introduce yourself and tell us a little about about who you are and you know what you're all about. Sure. 
Uh, so I'm Chad. I am, I guess, the principal member of Kestrels. Um, we've been a band since 2008, uh, maybe 2007 even, in various iterations along the way. But we kind of really got our footing in 2012 uh, on a record called A Ghost History that came out on this Canadian label called Sonic Onion. Um, and that's when we started touring sort of regularly and pushing it to another level, I guess. So, um, yeah, I play guitar and I sing and I write all the songs and I, I guess I've been the one consistent member. It's kind of like my vision from the start and other band members have come and gone. And the, the sound is kind of, especially early on changed a bit, but it's sort of, I, I caught a groove, I guess, the past few years. Uh, I live just outside of Halifax in Nova Scotia, Canada. I'm a high school English teacher in my, my adult life, I guess. And, uh, yeah, uh, guitar lover, recording studio, gear nerd, avid reader. I'm not sure. Cat lover, dog lover. Those are some things. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Um, so maybe just a, a little bit about Kestrels. Um, I was reading, uh, an article in, um, Montreal rocks and they, they they descri- describe the band um, Kestrel as a rough, fuzzy, reverb-drenched power pop band from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, is that? Um, I mean, how do you feel about that description? Is that that an accurate description of the band? And for someone who's never heard any of your stuff, how would you describe Kestrels to them? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, um, pretty good description. I mean. You know, we flirted with different sounds, like maybe early on it was a bit more <clears throat> like indie pop, maybe a bit in like the early or the late 2000s. But certainly now I think that's good. And I like the power pop descriptors come up a lot for this record in particular. And I, you know, I, I kind of really like that. I mean, I think Shoegaze was the one that people used to say the most. And it was, you know, My Bloody Valentine are one of my all time favorite bands for sure. Um, but I think there's like shoegaze can, and I hope no one shoots me for saying this, but it can be like a little more, uh, style over substance, you know, like it's easy to just make a lot of noise and call it shoegaze. And then you put out a record. Uh, I think with power pop, um, there's a bit more of the emphasis on melody and structure and, you know, like craft, I guess maybe, which I think is pretty cool. And like growing up, those were the bands you know, like Ash or even Nirvana or whatever that had this like that propulsive torrent of like guitar noise, but like strong melody sort of underpinning the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess, yeah, I think so. Like if you were hearing us for the first time, a lot of people just say it sounds like 1992 maybe or something <laughs> like that, um, which, you know, annoys me a bit, but I, I see where it's coming from. So, you know, loud guitar, propulsive drumming you know the singing's pretty like like laid back or sort of you know it's not great i mean it's a bit louder than mix in this record but it's not uh you know screaming or anything that would make my mom sort of <laughs> shudder or something so yeah so i think it's a pretty good descriptor i like yeah i think that works really well and i yeah and we moved away from maybe the pure the pure shoegaze worship sound a bit on this record, but that's kind of still there too. And of course, just like Beach Boys or whatever, you know, stuff that you can't get rid of from your childhood. 
Let, let's, um, it's a wee bit off topic from what um, we've kind of got written here in front of us. Chad, but see with regards to the vocals. So sometimes the vocals sound a bit distant. Is that was that a conscious decision to, to have them like that? Is yeah. that influenced by bands that you you listened to kind of growing up? Yeah, for sure. Like it's sort of the shoegaze aesthetic, you know, like the like kind of like the brutal guitar sounds, even if you're playing melodic lines or whatever, the guitar sound is like you like if you solo the tracks on the record. The guitar sounds are wild if you hear them in isolation, but um, so the vocals sometimes are second, you know, they're almost like just another instrument in the mix in a lot of the songs. And it kind of, I like that sounds it draws, to me, it draws a listener in a bit more. It's more of like, you have to listen a bit harder. And even like, yeah, like even on like that Ash record, 1977, that was like a major record for me growing up the vocals are buried on some of those songs too. And so I, yeah, I just like that aesthetic a lot. And I mean, I can't sing like Brian Wilson or, or those guys. So working with what I have too. Definitely man. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the vocals were probably what led me, me to describe the describe Kessels as a sort of floaty rock band. But yeah, that was good. I, I mean, I, but actually, when you listen, when you when you listen to this album on the likes of headphones, there's there's lots of like grunge and sort of low end as well. Like the those the riffs on like Vanishing Point are are actually really quite heavy. Yeah, that was uh, yeah that song that opening riff as simple as it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, you know it sort of like jumps out of the speakers and that was kind of an idea i had for, to make it the opening track just so that it was like there was no like little overture like sort of like weird no it's just like right out of the gate it's like 100 yeah, percent turned up and uh yeah it just like announces itself i guess it's kind of what i was thinking of that one um and you know like there's like a lot of fuzzy bass that i played on the record which helps with that the sort of low end, like uh, the foundation of the whole thing, I guess, which is really useful for uh, for rock music, I think. Yeah. So that's one of the questions we were going to ask you about who played bass because it was previously a brother, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I did. We were here. It's Thanksgiving in Canada, so we had dinner together yesterday, and oh, it was right. no. Uh, yeah, it was no. There's no falling out or anything. It just sort of he was not interested in playing music anymore after, you know, at the level we're at, a lot of it is sleeping on floors and making very little cash, but traveling and, you know, making friends and playing with cool bands and making cool records. But that lifestyle for people, you know, getting older is not for everyone. So, yeah. And I, I had the, I kind of felt like, I guess when we started, I had a different drummer on this record as well. Um, I don't think I'm that hard to work with. I just can't keep band members. I guess, <laughs> um, but it just sort of was like, you know what, this time I'm going to do almost everything myself. And if it totally fails, then that's cool. And I, I did my best or whatever, but it's, you know, it's been really well received. And, you know, I have a, we have a band now that hasn't really been able to play because of uh, COVID restrictions too much. But um, so the next record, there'll be like a full, group this one is almost like a solo record in a lot of ways i guess but yeah so see with regards to obviously we're kind of we're gripped in the global pandemic just now due to covid19 did that affect the release of the album at all yeah it did um 
you know, we were going to do a Canadian or a, an American tour. Right. Okay. And we had offers from promoters in the UK to come over as well. And we can't even do like a local release show right now, honestly. So it's, yeah, that, that's been tough. I mean, mostly like we sell a fair number of records. Yeah. Which is good. Um, having that tour to support it would have made, you know, the promotion a lot easier and, you know, got us in front of some new people, which would have been good. But it just is what it is. I thought about doing live stream stuff, but I don't know. Like I've done acoustic shows before. I'm recording an acoustic session for a station in Philadelphia this week, but it's, it's not the same, you know, it'd be fun, but it's not the same. And I'll just wait until we can actually get together and do it. But, uh, yeah, I, honestly, I've been pretty happy with the response, given that we couldn't promote it really outside of, you know, hitting the internet kind of hard. So yeah, it's been all right. Yeah. And how do you think this will affect the kind of music industry going forward? Do you think it'll take a wee while before kind of touring starts up again? I mean, obviously mentioned the kind of like live stream there. Do you think that's something you might look into doing in the future? Obviously it's not the same, but. Right. Well, I mean, I think that for bands like ours, we're probably all right in terms of just making more records and there's enough interest that we can make records without touring and still have that work as sort of a little bit of a business model. Um, I think the live, like I think a lot of the bands that we think of as doing really, really well, it's like restaurants or something like don't have a lot of overhead or sorry, don't have a lot of runway before they run out of cash. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit scary that way. I mean, and it's hard to, it's hard to get people to buy records. I mean, that is straight up the best exchange of money for arts or whatever, for musicians anyway, um, you know, in, in the absence of actually being able to play, but getting people to shell out for that is, is not easy. And I mean, I have Spotify too or whatever. It's I try to support the bands I like, but yeah, it's hard to say where it's going to go. I mean, you know, like so many people can make records so cheaply now that I'm sure there'll be lots of, new music, what it looks like in terms of promotion. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I do think like, I know in the UK they're talking about, like my friends over there are talking about a lot of, of like the funding for small clubs and stuff like that. And whatever was in the news about people getting retrained or whatever, like, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that is pretty different. I mean, we're okay in Canada. It's not a bad situation here, but that's a, that's, it's just sad. You know, I mean, they have music, is the great healer or whatever you want to call it. Like it's so important to the culture, just like movies or TV or books or whatever, but it's hard to, people don't value it for whatever reason. So hopefully people get their, the people in power get their act together a bit. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Cause I think we're all beginning to get a bit scunnered to be honest. Yeah. My friend in Liverpool sent me a text yesterday and he was just like, it's starting to hit that like all I want to do is be on a tour bus and or going to a club or you know the, the realization that that's that's a ways away still so I mean I think there's socially distanced shows we've had some in Canada my girlfriend's like a an Americana folk artist and she right, okay. she does like seated shows in places that are socially distanced they've been actually pretty pretty well attended um, and well received but it's not the same for a rock band in a club or whatever that needs the kind of the energy. 
I think so. Yeah, no, absolutely, I would agree. In terms of kind of touring, um, obviously you kind of mentioned that you're a high school teacher. How do you manage juggle being a high school English teacher and touring? You know, you've got the noise records as well. How how do you manage all that, man? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have kids. I guess a lot of people my age have kids, so that is uh, that helps. Um, and it's kind of that weird fear, a little bit of like do I just want to be a teacher? Like, is that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I just teach and that's, you know, music's been so important in my life and I've had the chance to be a part, you know, like I've had some small successes in it that have allowed me to keep going. keep going. So that drive is just to make something new and something better. And the last one is really, really important to me as like an artist. And then on the label side that I run the noise records label, um, helping out other artists and giving them a chance to get their music out there because um, before we got signed to like bigger labels, you know, that struggle is the struggle is real, as they say. So helping other people out with that and getting behind records that's I think are awesome that people should hear. Yeah. It just feels like my life, like, like I love teaching and I'm okay at it, but like music is my life passion. You know, it just has been since, you know, that split you get, maybe you had it too at school where like your friends are all going in one direction and you kind of realize like, I'm actually over here now. So, um, yeah. And I've been lucky enough to hack out a little career in it. So yeah, it's just the drive, the, the innate drive, I guess. Cool, man. And maybe financial irresponsibility too, a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, cool. Maybe just jump back to the, um, the album for a, for a, for a minute. Um, when we when we reviewed the single Grey and Blue, we I mean neither of us had really listened to the full album at that point. But I haven't listened to it now. Um, it's a really good album, and you know it's got this kind of effortless fusion of shoegaze and alt rock and, and indie. Um, I mean, there's on, on the op- opening the lights, keep it close. There's a there's that part reminds me of like the chorus of a Kings of Leon song, the bucket. Um, and there's the opening of um, the song. Everything is new reminds me of son of a gun by the Vaselines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got this kind of image in my head of all these members of bands walking into the machine from the fly and <laughs> kind of Kestrel's coming out of the smoke and, and sparks of that. I mean, is is there a when you're when you're writing songs, is there is there a sort of conscious decision to to blend the sounds of these these bands, or does it just come out as a kind of product of your your influences, sort of subconsciously, I suppose? Yeah, maybe a mix. I mean, that's not a satisfying answer, I guess. But <laughs> something you know, if you're done a touring cycle, you kind of recognize like a lot of these songs. Like on the last record, I was like, okay they feel a little like, like, uh, the structure was a little repetitive maybe, or, you know, they kind of, there's similar sounds in some of the songs. So you want to like do something different the next time. Um, but of course it's just like, in a weird way, I don't listen to a lot of new music anymore. So it's kind of those, like on everything is new. I was thinking of, uh, Jesus and Mary chain was kind of what the, I was thinking of for that song, the like really, really noisy guitar intro. And then like very simple chord progression, which is like the Vaseline's as well, obviously. Um, yeah. And there are definitely things you try to do like, uh, 
like I said, the Beach Boys earlier, and like I don't know if anyone would hear Beach Boys in this record, but there were definitely parts of like uh, Dalloway with that song, and um, the final track, or was like the final track, especially is like it has specific sort of parts, almost like the Smile record is kind of what I was going for, where it was really just like left turn, key change, left turn, totally different part of the song, uh, which I really really loved. Um, and I think there was a, yeah, like a little bit more like we opened for Dinosaur Jr. and Jay played on the record, obviously. So that was part of what was happening on this record too. A little more, it was a little more like lead guitar. Yeah, you know, you sort of see the things after you're done. And it's like, oh, I can see what I was doing there. At the time, it feels maybe a bit more subconscious. Um, but yeah, like you got to make sense of it after, after the fact, I guess. I guess too, maybe like uh, lyrically, I wanted to make it less like words, like uh, classic, like pavement style indie rock word salad, and like try to actually. And again, I'm not sure like the average person walking the street would find like super clear messages on these songs, but to me, it was like opening, you know, the door to my brain or whatever been going on for the past few years. So I tried to be a little more open in the lyrics this time. Maybe like even like Phoebe Bridgers, I listened to her record a lot the first one, and I. I wouldn't call me confessional necessarily, but that kind of like really like almost intimate feeling of like, you're hearing this person talk directly to you. I kind of was trying to go for that feeling, I guess, this time. You mentioned Dalloway there. Is that based on a, a novel? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, took the title. Um, yeah. That's a little bit of a misnomer. When we started doing the demos, I named each of the songs after a book I had read recently. So there was like 2666, which is the Bolano uh, sort of like horror novel and Malone Dies, a Samuel Beckett novel and right. Dalloway from, or Mrs. Dalloway for uh, Virginia Woolf. Um, and I thought it was a really cool idea, but then I don't know. I had to had to go with something better after after a while. Except I liked that one, so I kept it. <laughs> so has your interest in literature and kind of pop culture influenced your songwriting on any other albums? Yeah, like the Ghost History record um, was called A Ghost History, and it was named after an article in um, The Vital Illusion by this uh, philosopher Baudrillard, and it was like this idea that like is an imagined history still a history, or is it a ghost history? You know, like is it if we imagine something has become real and kind of just the like uh, notions of like how our perception, I don't know, it sounds a little heady right now, but like how our perception shapes our understanding of our experience. Okay. It's very much like a English literature, fourth year university student sort of classic discussion maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like read a lot. I'm an English teacher in high school myself and uh I get a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of inspiration, especially from those authors who do kind of like weirder, unexpected, like Samuel Beckett's one of my favorites and his novels are like notoriously hard to read. And I kind of just like that, like, uh, that attitude, I guess, of just going in the direction you want to go. And it's not about like, and then, you know, again, you're not going to hear that record and think like, Oh my God, that's like a famous, postmodern fiction record or something, but it's like a lot of people like in, even in my hometown now are, you know, I love them for it in their own way, but they're like pivoting to, they're trying to be like pop stars. Cause that's like the way, you know what I mean? Like samples and beats and like auto tune 
whatever. And that's fine. Like, that's cool. I like some of that music too, but yeah. that kind of like, I don't know. It's just like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's just straight, you know, I'm not relenting on that, that vision, I guess. I think it's kind of cool. And authors do that very well. Yeah. Do, do your pupils know that you're in a band? Yeah. <laughs> They're a pretty harsh critics sometimes, but uh, <laughs> <All right. Okay. laughs> um yeah, I mean, they're they're really supportive. I mean, I think that one of the weird things is when I was in school, um, it was like Nirvana, Ash, Smashing Pumpkins, like Dinosaur Jr., Pixies. Like I had like a very limited scope of what I listened to in a very like almost stereotypical way. But kids these days will jump from like, you know, everything from like the Eagles to like, I don't really know new bands, but like, uh, like super hyper pop music or whatever, uh-huh. they're way less, way less uh, structured in their listening, like more adventurous maybe than I was. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if they've ever heard a band like mine before when they listen to it, but some of them like love it and they like buy t-shirts and records and stuff. So that's cool. Um, they gave me some feedback on the album cover when we were putting it together. I got a few kids together and asked them, let me know what they thought. So yeah, it's cool. They're, I mean, I love teaching and students are the best part of it. So yeah, it's cool. They don't come in wearing a Kestrel shirt trying to get better grades or whatever. <laughs> well, they've attempted that a few times. <laughs> Hasn't worked yet, but... So I suppose you mentioned Dinosaur Junior there and you opened for them. It was a bike shop in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that properly. Massachusetts? That sounds about right. Yeah, you got it. And then that's how they, well, I can't pronounce his name. This is a, this is kind of a, a problem that we're having when we're reviewing Grey and Blue. How do you pronounce his name? Jay Mass. Uh, Jay Massis, yeah. Massis. So that's how he kind of, he got involved then. Yeah, he's a uh, like we opened for them with this show in Amherst where he lives, where the band's from, and this was supposed to be like a secret show, you know, like where there was local bands playing with like a special headliner, uh, but the word got out pretty quickly, and it was, you know, it's one of those things where it's uh, they played with like a tiny PA that you'd see in like a garage show or whatever, and you know this they don't need a big stage to be like crazy impressive. You know, it was like, they sounded like a force to be reckoned with, even with limited gear. Like he was only playing through two amps instead of four. And, right. you know, it was, uh, it was cool. Anyway, the show was, uh, it was crazy. Like it was crazy. There were seven bands on the bill, maybe like it was a pretty long day, but they showed up and the, the upper floor of this bike shop was just, packed and you can see the the floor was like heaving under all the way the kids jumping and the guy who owned the shop was very nervous <laughs> trying to get people to stop bouncing around but um yeah so we i just you know i met him very very briefly there but i met his wife uh louisa and their engineer justin pizzferrato um who has a studio in another town in massachusetts so we stayed in touch and uh, Justin and I did and Louisa and I did and we went and recorded down there. We did some drums for about half the album and some guitar there, I guess, as well. And uh, Louisa invited us over to Jay's and her place for, 
for tea when we were recording and we got to see the studio and play. He just like kept handing me these guitars to play. And it's like, Oh my God, I've seen this guitar on YouTube or whatever, 20,000 times, or I saw them in concert with it or whatever. And, uh, yeah, was, Justin actually is the one who sent him an email. He's like, this song would be perfect for you want to play on. And he just said, yeah, sounds good. So it was like, it felt like a fantasy land or something. You know, I've had Tim, uh, Tim Wheeler from Ash is a very good friend of mine now. And he played on that Ghost History record. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, my favorite guitar players. I've, I've had two of them. So I get like Kevin Shields and uh, maybe like Lindsay from Snail Mail or something. I'll be... I'll have my whole uh, indie rock trifecta, or I guess four of them there. So yeah, it'd be cool. Cool man. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I jokingly suggested that um, you know they got these guys in because you couldn't play guitar solos, which I hope you didn't take any offence. No, <laughs> but um, I mean that's clearly not the case when you listen to the album because there's there are some great guitar solos all over it. Thanks. Um. One of the other things when we were talking about that um, Grant kind of built up this announcement of the guitarist from Dinosaur Jr. Um, being on the, on the song and it, it, it fell kind of flat because I, I said, oh, I don't really know much about this band. So, I mean, what what songs or, or, or albums would you recommend for the uninitiated, uninitiated when it comes to Dinosaur Jr.? Sure. Um, yeah, I think like my... The first Dinosaur Jr. record was Green Mind, which came out maybe 91 or 90, like right before Nevermind came out or sort of in the lead up to Nevermind. Um, the next one, Where Has You Been, is John Aniello, who mixed our record, uh, worked on that record. And he was, that record is a big one for me. But even the like newer ones, there's like four reunion records and they're all, they're all awesome. I mean, the first few records are, really indie and like maybe more punk influenced or heavier or something. And then it sort of shifts in the major label period of that band. But I, I honestly love every single one of them. Um, and maybe for newer one, a farm is probably the favorite, my favorite of the newer ones. Yeah. They're really, they're awesome. Like incredible guitar playing. And a lot of the guitar playing that I did in that record was like totally as an inspiration from Jay's like, melodic noisy you know like almost off the rails kind of guitar playing or it's super exciting to listen to and you know a little bit flashy but not in the you know the cheesy like metal way or something so yeah kind of yeah he's a huge inspiration and you know super i can't believe he played on the record to this day i've got to send him a parcel uh with a few thank you gifts in it in a few days anyway but uh yeah, they're they're an amazing band, and like, you know, people give the Pixies credit for the loud, quiet thing, but really, Dinosaur Junior did that first. It's just not uh, people won't talk about it that much. So I love the Pixies too. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, they're uh, yeah incredible. Definitely worth checking out. You mentioned um, Agnell there, so obviously, in terms of the the kind of production on this album, you've got some pretty big names out there. Agnello, Calbi, um, and is it Steve Albini? You kind of recorded some of your stuff there as well. Is that right in saying? Yeah. At his studio, he didn't actually engineer that session. We did meet him when we were there. It was pretty, it's pretty cool. Super, again, super nice, funny, 
he has a, the sort of uh, his online persona or like the way you see him in videos might be a bit gruff or antagonistic or something, but he was super friendly to us. It was, it was awesome. And did you purposefully seek out Agnello? Cause I remember I was listening to a podcast called Halifax's Burning. And yes. I think you were saying that you previously approached Agnello to work on your third studio album. Is that right? Oh, I can't remember. Can't no, I think that was, I don't think we'd asked him for the third. Oh yes, you're right. We totally did. Yeah, we did. We got a quote from him and that just couldn't make it work at that time. Um, and you know, he's worked on all kinds of incredible records, like the Kurt Vile records or, uh, like always, I don't know if you guys probably know that band. always from, they're from Toronto. They're a huge like indie dream pop band. He worked on their first record that kind of broke them out. Um, so we had just like been in touch via Instagram message, like direct messaging on Instagram or whatever. And I was supposed to go visit him in the summer. I started writing this record. I was supposed to go visit him in a studio there and it just, the dates couldn't line up. Um, so I sent him a text and I was just like, man, what do I need to do to get him to mix our record? And we, uh, he was like totally interested and down. He's made, he made it, he gave us a great deal and, you know, was, uh, you know, we were flexible around his schedule in terms of mixing. So we mixed it in like three different sessions. The final one, I actually got to go down to uh, New Jersey and I was in the studio with him and it was, you know, he's been doing this a long time and, the energy he has is like a teenager. Like he had more energy than I did. He was just like, you know, like <laughs> bouncing around the studio and, you know, Oh, we got to try this and this song. We got to do this. And he has all this like beautiful, like analog gear, which, you know, is out of reach for a person of my age or whatever. Like you just can't spend $50,000 on a compressor, like on a single compressor. <laughs> like if you're a teacher, yeah. sort of, Nova Scotia, but he has just like all this collection from working on stuff since like the eighties, maybe even the late seventies. Um, so it was like a real, like the experience of him mixing on the desk. It sounds like I'm making, it sounds like a spinal tap story or something, but like the this experience of seeing him do that was like, it, I learned so much about making records in those like three days I was there with him just from his like, his attitude and his techniques and his sort of like general approach to making things exciting and big without being cheesy and sort of like uh, superficial, you know, like he really like made everything sound just so, so good. I'm so happy with it. Yeah. Cool. The record sounds, sounds brilliant. Um, I mean, in terms of the musicianship, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, this is kind of a, uh, almost a solo record for yourself, but you had, um, you know, Michael Catano on the drums and um, I can see there's backing vocals from Norma McDonald. I don't know what other involvement she had in the album. We already asked you who played the bass, um, but it was just interesting to know, um, you know, a little bit more about their involvement and how, I mean, if you've sort of written the songs in advance, does that change once the other musicians come in? And, you know, how, how does that evolve? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Norma is my girlfriend. Uh, so she, she put out a really cool record this year, like peak COVID called old future. It's like an Americana folk record. If you're into that, you should check it out. It's really good. Um, 
yeah, she just sang some harmony. Like one of the things missing on other records was, I, I remember Claudius Mittendorfer mixed uh, one of her EPs a while ago. And he's like, man, you gotta get some female vocals in these records. And so Norma has a beautiful voice and is like so intuitive when it comes to singing. Um, and so I would give her a few, like say, I got, I, the harmony has to go here. Let's try a few things. And she's, much better at singing harmony than I am. So it made it pretty, pretty smooth. And a few times I'd be like, okay, maybe try this here. But she, uh, yeah, she knew what it had, what had to happen. And it was like recording vocals for me is very painstaking, like takes hours and hours and hours, like picking like first part of this line, the second part of the, you know, it's like piecing it all together. It's not like a, it's not like some soul singer like belting it out in one take and it's beautiful but Norma just was singing every take would be perfect from like we did like we quadruple tracked her vocals and it was like she didn't have to redo any of them it was nuts um so that was cool and Catano we've been friends for a long time he played in a couple of bands that are really like important uh, especially like Halifax music history um this band called North of America which was like we were coming up, he's a bit, little bit older than I am. We were coming up, that band had like toured Europe and the US and Canada and had record deals in Germany. And they were kind of like the indie rock, like, uh, you know, the top of the mountain in terms of indie rock stuff. Um, you know, and they wrote their own songs. And they were like, they weren't just like radio pop hits or whatever. Like they just wrote cool songs and just, they had this rabbit, even to this day, like a bay play a reunion show they do it you know every couple of years and the clubs are just packed and people love them um and he was just one of the drummers that i like admired before we were ever friends and it's just the way it turned out that i was in brooklyn for the summer at tim wheeler's place and i'd written four songs katana was like why don't you come visit me in chicago because i was off all summer obviously not teaching and uh I said, do you want to record a few tracks, see if we can get a studio? And it just worked out perfectly that Albini's studio was available. And it was almost like a test run to see if it was going to work. I almost at that point wasn't sure if I wanted to even do it anymore. I was like, I was so depressed about the band ending the way it did on that last record. And it's so much work and getting started again. It's hard to like get the wheels in motion, especially when like, you know, there are 500 people on the planet who want another Kestrel's record. You know, it's not like there's like people knocking down the door or whatever. Um, so it just, that session was like a test run. And I kind of, we talked about the songs. It's like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. He's a super intuitive drummer. Like he's, he used to be like a music director at a radio station and he's worked for like Pitchfork and NPR. And like, he's just like, he's really just like, you know, I call him a savant as a musician. He can just do anything. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was fun for him to record in those big studios. So after that first session done with him, um, it was like, okay, let's do this. We're, we're on. And we played a few shows together. We only had a chance to do three shows, I guess, over the past year before. None since the record came up, but sort of in the in-between period, we did three shows and it was super, super fun. And yeah, so it's got that like, as a live band, we have that same like jumping out of the speakers sound too, which is, is really, really fun. You know, on stage, you can feel the air kind of moving. It's, it's a, it's a great experience. So yeah. So, and then I did the bass and then my friend Jim, who was also in North America, 
with Michael back in the day. Uh, he's playing bass now. And so it's, yeah, we're all very excited to make a new record. Actually, we were texting about it earlier today. So yeah, the future is bright, I think, as long as the virus doesn't wipe us out. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of um, what's happening in Canada, I mean, from the outside looking in, there's there's sort of some excited bands, the likes of Pop and the the Dirty Nil and sort of rock music, and you know these massive legacy bands like Arcade Fire and Sum Forty One and and Death from Above nineteen seventy nine. Have you got any? I suppose you mentioned earlier you didn't really listen to that much new music, but do you, do you have any hot picks of your own? Yeah, there's a band in Halifax. They're just I call them kids. They're maybe 10 years younger than I am. Um, they're called Designosaur. And uh, the, the main, I don't know their band structure, but the guy I think it was the main guy, AJ, is just like a like shockingly good songwriter and good producer and uh, like a real, real talent. We did actually a Weezer cover show as a benefit show at Christmas and I played guitar and he played bass. So I got to see them see how they worked a bit. It was super fun. Uh, yeah, that band might get similar pigeonholing like we do is sounding like the nineties or whatever, but they're really, really, really good. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw the dirty nil just before they got like really, really big yeah. uh, play in like, a, like not even a club. It was like a hall or something in, in Hamilton where they're from. It's cool to see them like, signs these bigger labels and work with fat records or whatever. Um, yeah. So I've been kind of off the radar. Like I've listened to the new no joy record. I don't know if you know that band from Montreal, I guess They're like a shoegaze band that got a lot of hype early on. And then maybe they've been gone for five years and the new records getting really, really good reviews. It's like pretty out there in a lot of ways. Like they like slap bass on it and things like that, which are kind of, kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, in Halifax, there's always bands uh, like this really healthy punk scene where a lot of people are really excited about, you know, demo tapes and seven inches and things like that. Uh, my friends in the band Dog Day just released a new record and they were, yeah, they were a major, major group like for the last 10 years, it kind of again went away and started making like horror movies and things like that instead of making music, but their new record just came out and it's really, really good. Uh, Norma's record's great if you're into folky Americana stuff, um, which I am. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess that's kind of, that's kind of it for, I think that's all I've heard lately. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but uh yeah, I tend to go backward, maybe more than forward with music, which is maybe not the best thing. It's so hard. I mean, I used to have friends when I was a kid who could just like refresh stereo gum and pitchfork all day long and listen to every new song and have opinions about all the stuff. And I just, I'm not on the computer that much. So I don't know. I guess I'm not pay, paying that close attention. What would be in your sort of top five favorite albums of all time? Ooh, all time. Um, Pet Sounds, Beach Boys, Loveless, My Bloody Valentine, uh, 1977, Ash, Where You Been, Dinosaur Jr., and 
this what maybe like bandwagon esque by Teenage Fan Club. Right. Okay. You go on that man. Like you're just <laughs> you're tuned in. You ask me tomorrow, I'd say five different records probably. <laughs> <laughs> what do you kind of look for in terms of an album or a band? Obviously, like you're you're a massive gearhead, like you said. Is it is production value important to you? Yeah, and anyway, I mean not all those like bandwagon esque is not an amazing sounding record, but the vibe on that record is incredible. Like you just, it feels like its own thing. I guess what I try to avoid in my own music and that I look for another music, it doesn't just like sound like some, you know what I mean? It's not just like aping whatever is popular, like yeah, yeah. same in, in Scotland, but you know, like 10 years ago, every band just sounded like, you know, a two piece garage rock band with like the reverb all the way up and like, the sort of like telephony vocals or whatever. And it's like, everyone was doing that. And then it was explosions in the sky, delay pedals and sort of like epics. I kind of just like when bands do like have a vision and go for it. And it's, you know, kind of their own, their own thing, I guess. Like it's hard to do that now. I think bands need such like, you know, we were trying to get pressed for this record and the, the PR person said, unless your video is super high concept, like no one's going to pay attention to it. And the idea of spending say like 10 grand on a music video, I don't know. That does, that seems weird to me. Like I'd rather spend 10 grand on making the record and not worrying about, you know, you feel like the music's going to get through to people who want to hear it anyway, I guess. And so, yeah. I, so I guess maybe a different answer to that question. I tend to avoid anything that's like super trendy or, I'm just sort of now I've always been that way ever since I was a kid avoiding like whatever is the hippest thing at the moment I'm not super into I might come around to it later but um, yeah it's like production melody again like I like lyrics that have a bit of a feel a bit more open which is kind of a, I feel like that's coming back in the style a bit now but yeah I guess it's like honesty in the whole I just like the honesty part of it it's like growing up as a fan of Nirvana or whatever, it's like all of the expression, like the pure, I mean, I would say unfiltered. I know it's a bit more massaged than that, but like that kind of pure like energy expression is kind of what I'm into. And those records all do that for me as, you know, repeat listens. And I suppose when you're writing your own songs as well, are you looking to convey a mood? Is that, is that important to you? Yeah, and on this, yeah, like I'm not sure if you heard the last record, but the last record is like yeah. super proud of it, and I love the songs. I felt like it came off as like a little bit stiff in parts, like it felt a little more like robotic or something. I don't know why I'm dancing like a robot right now, but um, <laughs> and so this record, the mood felt like a little bit like uh, it's looser feeling. There's no drum edits, and it's supposed to be about like that, like yeah, that unfiltered energy coming across. Where the last record is very much like like reined in in a lot of ways. So, you know, and there's like, you know, there's some moments in the record that aren't perfect, you know, like it's not all like to a grid or like the vocals are a little bit pitchy in parts, but all those records I just mentioned have the same thing too. And those like imperfections, I think give it a human element that kind of, I think it's missed in a lot of music these days where things are so, you know, you need to get to the chorus in the first 30 seconds or whatever. And it's, you know, for, for my taste, that's a little, I don't know. That's a little weird, I guess. 
I mean, I, I certainly didn't get. I mean, I certainly didn't get that impression from listening to the third album. I didn't feel as if it was robotic at all. Um, I thought it was great. Um, I think "Are You Alone" and is it "Eyes Eyes Wide Open"? It was probably my two favorite. Is it "Eyes Wide Open" or "Wide Open"? Oh, what is that song called? Wide Eyes, Wide Eyes. That's Wide Eyes. Yeah, they, I thought they were standout tracks, man. I thought they were absolutely great, and I would say on this album. As I said, also the kind of vocals are quite distant and sometimes it is quite hard to decipher it, but it does definitely feel quite emotive. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's really good, man. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed oh, it. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's so much work, you know, and it's like cool that you guys listen to it even. You know, <laughs> like it's like, it's weird to have three years of your life boiled down to 40 minutes of music or whatever, but, you know, so it's, thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Of course. I mean, how how does that feel after that kind of um, all of that work, and then it suddenly just being out there and it being finished? I suppose normally you would have the tour to look forward to, but it is you know, what is that like? Is that just a sort of a feeling of release? Do you just sort of put it to the side and that's it done? Yeah, I mean, we we mastered it maybe a year before it came out so there was a bit of like sent it to record labels and try to figure out some strategy um for the release and then darla graciously signed us um you know way to work in their release schedule as well so there's a bit of that so you know it's a kind of like my typical experience with putting out a record is you know it's so much hard work and so much critical listening that I kind of can't listen to it for a while after it's finished because, you know, I know like every millisecond of that record and what was going on. And it's so like getting the production right is really important. Um, and so I kind of came back to this one, like I'd be out running and listening to the the final master. And I was like, Oh, like, yeah, I did a good job. And so like this one, this sounds good. It's what I wanted to do. And I realized my vision, um, but then, yeah, the release is weird. There's no release show and, you know, you just get a, you get the FedEx box of uh, your LPs and CDs and that mode is super exciting to see the gatefold and see the colored vinyl and see the art blown up that you've only seen on a computer screen. Um, but it's weird. Like, I find it so personal that, like, I'm super excited when people hear it and listen to it, but my experience is its own thing in a way. Like, it's so personal to me that I... Yeah, that's, a, that's almost private or something. it feels like private, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, now it's like we're finishing up an EP to put out sort of, it's going to be, can't say too much about it, but there's going to be some B-sides from the sessions that we didn't finish in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, we already have plans to make the next one. So I've got demos for that. Going. So it's a good, you know, it's a good feeling to get it out and like people have responded well to it. And one of the cooler parts of this record is there isn't really consensus on like the best song. Like people have, I'll get messages all the time. Like, Oh my God, that song is so cool. And I'm like, I would never have guessed that would have been someone's favorite song, but you know, it's like, it's cool that it's reached people in so many different ways. So that's been exciting. Um, yeah. to get enough to want to do another one, <laughs> keep the, keep the train uh keep the train rolling i guess brilliant man cool yeah that's great um I mean let us know when that ep is coming out because we're i think we're both very interested to to hear it 
Yeah, for sure. It's, I, I mean, I'm finishing the B-sides the next two weeks or so, so it'll probably come in January, February, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, but we've got some cool, really, really cool stuff planned for it, so it should be fun. Great, man. Nice. Um, well, I think I think we've covered, unless you're, you've got anything else going on, I think we've pretty much covered everything that we were we wanted to talk about yeah so that's great um chad that was you know really extensive so thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to us about all this stuff oh thanks for having me that was a uh, super fun i was driving over here to get my computer uh, set up and i was like it's been a while since i've done an interview so i'm <laughs> trying to practice what i was going to say and think about what my top five records were so i'm glad i is that a common question? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it will be. Yeah. Stand, standard kind of music journalism questions, eh? <laughs> cool. Um, all right, man. Well, um, yeah. Thanks again for talking to us. And um, yeah, it's been a really good chat. I think, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. So um, nice to get some um input on what uh, goes into making a record and like some insight into you know the behind the scenes stuff so that's that's really cool to get it you know from the the horse's mouth so to speak so yeah thanks thanks very much uh thanks for having me it was super fun and uh maybe, maybe we'll talk again sometime absolutely. yeah absolutely um, <laughs> how do we end this difficult <laughs> 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 ending um, just looking for the stop button. <laughs> I think I think I just have to end the call for all three of us. All right, okay. Uh, well, guys, this was super fun. I really appreciate all the nice things you said about the single, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. That's really important work. And uh, let's stay in touch and touch base when the next thing happens. And I'll subscribe to your podcast, and it's going to be yeah. It's going to be great. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Will you take care of yourself? Yeah, uh, have a good night. I know it's later there for you guys, so I'm going to have some supper. But, uh, yeah, have a good evening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Right. Did you take care of yourself, man? All right. Cheers, guys. It's finished. It's finished.